Welcome to All of You with Madeleine Munro, a space where we explore vulnerable conversations and topics centered around a trauma-informed approach to healing and growth, where we welcome all that we are exactly as we are. I just wanted to add in here a trigger warning for the upcoming episode as we talk about disordered eating and suicide. So if these feel like sensitive topics for you, then perhaps coming back to this episode or giving it a miss. All my love. Hi, loved ones. Welcome to episode 15 of the All of You podcast with me, Madeleine Monroe. How are we all? As I record this, I'm looking at some beautiful blue skies over here in Bali, which hasn't been the case for the last week. We have been coming out of rainy season and it's been, yeah, wet, but cozy and cleansing and and really beautiful, actually. And yeah, things have been really special. I've loved answering your questions for this episode. I just so love these really heartfelt, vulnerable pieces that you share with me. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity to understand you more and to really hear what themes are emerging within this community. So thank you so, so much. And I'm aware that we're leading up to Valentine's Day. So I think it's on Tuesday. And I think I'm lucky that I live in a country that doesn't celebrate it. And I don't tend to watch like a lot of news or immerse myself in environments that are bathed in capitalist values. So I don't tend to actually hear a lot about Valentine's Day and then Christmas looks quite different for me, to be honest. So these kind of holidays that may be quite commercialized in the UK or in in America, Europe, Australia, I'm just naming, I'm naming all the Western countries. Yeah, I don't tend to be around that so much anymore, but I'm aware it's a really tender peace for a lot of women and people that I work with and and within this community so I'm just so feeling you here and so with you in what can come up around this time and the worthiness that can be activated and I'd love to speak to just this idea that I think in society it can pedestal being in relationships and being couples and actually you don't need to be chosen to be valued or to be worthy you don't need anyone else to see your value to have value or anyone else to see you to be inherently worthy of love so just really anchoring into this reminder that may be the antidote to what some of the messaging can be around this time that you need to be chosen or there's more value or there's more love or joy being in a relationship and let me tell you that is absolutely not true and great relationships and fulfilling experiences are co-created and they're built over time and cards and gifts and whatever it may be are not going to create long-lasting happiness and fulfillment within our love lives. So I would love to know what you're all doing for yeah this time of year and if you're looking to create this fulfillment in your life and if you're looking to enhance and just up level your dating experiences then I think we have one I think it's one or two spaces left for Heal with Love starting on Sunday so I think you literally have 48 hours to sign up if you're excited for this journey it's just going to be beautiful it's a project that I'm so 
just so in love with and I feel so honored for the women that are already in this space they just inspire me and lift me up and I'm just blown away by the awareness and the vulnerability and authenticity in this space which I feel like the antidote to some of the messaging that we can have around love in a society yeah so we'll be journeying for eight weeks together looking at how we can create a different relationship to love in our lives by increasing our self-worth, by rewiring our nervous system, by understanding what pleasure means for our body, by really understanding and looking at and embodying different dating experiences, understanding how our narratives just shape and mold the realities that we create in our lives. This program has been woven together by the tapestry of my own experience, through the experience of hundreds of clients and through my own years of training. So if this is calling to you, hop on now, literally now, because we have, I think when you listen to this, two days to to sign up. So if this space is yours, claim it. It'd be an honor to have you. We are just so lucky for every single woman that steps into that place. And I really mean that. I just work from a place of soul aligned people. And I feel so honored and privileged at every single client or participant that I get to hold space for. It just feels like this soul aligned space. So if your soul is calling you, then I just so believe that it that it's a match. And it feels like such an honor to every woman that answers this call. So with this, I will roll into the episode today, which is the Q&A. And this felt so vulnerable to share with you because... Yeah, I was just sharing some really deep pieces and tender pieces and and navigating this. And so I hope that this is helpful for you and that you can see more into my journey. And if there's follow-up questions, let me know. And do keep DMing me or emailing me around questions that you may have for me personally or around this work or being a professional in this work. It's so lovely to hear from you. And I will weave them together for the next Q&A episode in a couple of months. So sending you all so much love and looking forward to hearing how this goes for you and what lands for you. Lots of love. Hi, loved ones. It's been such a joy and an honor to receive these questions from you. It's been beautiful to have an insight into what's moving for you, how you perceive me, what you want me to answer, and any questions you have about this work. I just so love it because I can receive questions through my website or email or Instagram DMs, and I actually can't fully answer often to the depth that I would want to. And especially over Instagram DMs, I don't often go to in depth just because of the platform that it is. And so and the privacy piece is there. So this just really gives us opportunity for us to dive into deep topics together. And I am so excited. And to preface this, I haven't really looked at them ahead of time. I really want it to feel like we're in conversation rather than just prepping answers for you. So this is it. We're going to just see what's here. I'm looking at them now. And I'm super excited to dive in. And if you have any further questions, email me or DM me and I can put them together for the next Q&A episode, which I'll be doing in a couple of months. So hit me up with these. It's such a joy. It really is. Okay. And I love the range as I'm looking at them. I love the range that some are about me, some are about this work, some are about you. Just so gorgeous. Lovely to see and hear you in this way. The first one we have, we're going in deep, is you speak about wanting to become a nun. Why did you want to do this? Okay, perfect. Yeah, so in short, where that choice was coming from was this desire for spiritual fulfillment and finding my purpose in my life. 
and feeling that that was through this devotion, this commitment to enlightenment, this commitment to a spiritual transcendence and all the work that that takes to transcend this form, if that makes sense. And that may sound quite esoteric. By this, I mean that I had been through some rock bottoms in my early 20s and I felt like I lost my purpose and my place in the world. So spirituality and Tibetan Buddhism and these practices and these yeah, the monasteries, the nunneries that I was part of gave me that community, they gave me that purpose, they gave me that bigger purpose of understanding life. It was just so powerful for me to step back and really feel in connection to why am I here and what is my purpose here and just continually to heal and grow in this way. A bit more in depth is that it gave me the steps in the path. So yeah, I've spoken a bit about my my early 20s and my late teens of where I had struggled at university with disordered eating and I struggled for a decade so this is very much part of my reality and it had just cascaded so at university I like this perfect divine amalgamation of, of challenges of both my parents unfortunately being diagnosed with cancer and just the struggles and the strife of the pressure of being a law student and wanting to be perfect and wanting to get everything right and then ending a an abusive relationship with a long-term partner it was just the perfect tapestry for me to really break down to break through and this is where I, I think I, I don't know if I'm quoting him right it might be from maybe Paolo Coelho from The Alchemist where it's like either life happens all at once or things don't happen at all for our growth. And it's this idea that often for our greatest growth, it's like everything can happen at once. And that's what it felt like that happened at that time. I was in this place of thinking I'd done everything right. So when I started therapy for this eating disorder, I really thought it'd be six weeks and then I'd be out on top and I'd learn how to eat better. And the only reason I went into therapy was actually because I was so exhausted and drained that I couldn't study properly. And I knew my focus was getting low. So I thought, right, I'm going to do this so that I can do better. I can get better grades and I can be a better version of myself and this real conditional help that I'd give myself. And then if you've been in therapy, you'll know that actually it was like the unraveling. I was in this unraveling of, oh, wow, what's the deeper piece here? And actually the eating disorder is a, a symptom of deeper challenges underneath, such as the need for control, nervous regulation, a lack of self-esteem, a lack of self-worth, challenges with emotional regulation. So once I went on that journey of therapy, that's where actually life got a bit more challenging because I realized I'd built this life that felt like a bit like a prison. And I noticed that I was in therapy and I was trying to heal this eating disorder. My circumstances didn't allow for that. I feel like a square peg in a round hole now. I was trying to be mindful. I was trying to do my practices. I was trying to reflect on why I was in this position, why I wasn't happy. Because underneath, really, the eating disorder is like, how am I processing my emotions? And I'm really deeply depressed and I'm deeply anxious really I've got these two scales of nervous system dysregulation and mental health challenges going on and the eating disorder is a way that I'm coping with that and when I, if I'm looking at this crutch and I'm trying to take this away then wow I'm really sat in the despair of what the hell am I going to do with my life it feels like I'm just in the wrong place at the wrong time and I don't feel met or seen or held really by the circumstances that I've created for myself 
And so I was in this place of like, what the hell am I doing? It's a challenging place because it's like in these realizations of where am I? What am I doing? There's also the grief and the shame of, oh my gosh, I've built this life and now I'm letting go of it. You know, I was in my final year of university. I was president of Lawyers Without Borders, I had an internship in New York for that summer. And here I was sitting with my therapist, realizing that I need to not take my final exams because I've relapsed in my eating disorder. And if I don't get serious help again and further help and take a step back, either my organs are going to shut down if I keep going down this route, or I'm going to be at such despair that I'm going to shut down and end my life. So it's this real piece of, oh gosh, this shouldn't be like this. I should be at the finish line. I've worked for this goal for years. I've built my whole life to have this success and I'm at the finish line and I'm suddenly realizing I'm in an environment and a situation that's deeply damaging and I need to step away from it. And so when I was in that realization, I was actually quite angry. And I say quiet, I was, I was really angry and frustrated because I felt like I'd ticked all the boxes for what I thought was happiness and fulfillment in life. If I was taught that you do X, Y, and Z, you get the good grades, you go to a good university, you get the good job, you're the good girl, you do the right things, you work on yourself, then why am I in this situation? And why am I sat with such deep unhappiness if I'm not regulating myself through disordered eating, like how do I find that happiness again? Then how do I find my purpose? Because I've been working on this goal since a young age. Ever since I understood around the politics of the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, I was so hellbent as a teenager. I was like, okay, I studied Arabic in my gap year. I was so determined that I wanted to work in human rights or diplomacy around the Middle East it just felt like this was it this was my goal I cannot wait to really be in this area and create harmony in in areas where there isn't and that age-old line of we want to change the world we have to change ourselves and actually this striving for this life that I thought I wanted was leading down to a path that wasn't for me and that was leading to ill health, despair and desperation. And so after this period and this this anger at life, I've really got a long answer. With this despair with life, I was just like, what is it then? Why am I here? You know, it felt like this real earth-shattering I think the word despair, grief, like grief, existential grief. I think that's what it is. Like I've done all the things I thought I was meant to do. So why do I feel like this? Why am I not feeling happy? If I'm going to heal this eating disorder, I'm even more happy because I'm sat with what my life looks like when I can actually feel my feelings instead of using these coping mechanisms. So I had this real existential crisis in my early 20s. And... It reminds me of when I first got into ayahuasca. This was after I'd made this decision. It was one of the first, I think I took my form into my tutor at university and, and said, look, I'm taking a pause on this. I'm going to take the diploma for now. And we'd agreed, you know, if I want to come back in a year, I can come back in a year. I can work out the next routes, but I need to step away fully and commit to healing. Because if I'm one foot in and one foot out, I'm relapsing. I'm on the edge of of relapsing and I can't, it's like that square peg in a round hole. I can't fully heal in the environment that made me sick. So I need to step back. And then I just thought, well, if then I manage to heal this in myself, then I can come back and I'm going to be even better. 
because if you've ever struggled with something like this, maybe you'll know that it occupies 90% of your brain. 90% of my brain capacity was spent on worrying on how I wasn't good enough, how bad I looked, how people thought I was awful, how I was failing. Just this incessant inferiority that I had, which was really also fueling that disordered eating. Yeah, so I took in that form. I think it must have been like the weekend before. And then I went and did my first ayahuasca ceremonies. And I remember taking that intention. And wow, what a big intention to take for your first ceremony. It was like, show me God. I want you to show me God. And I remember this feeling of, of anger because I, I was angry at God. I just thought, what the fuck? Honestly, what the fuck? Like, what does all of this mean? Why am I in this situation? I feel so punished or I feel so let down by life I feel so let down by myself what is going on show me God and and really that just those couple of years that followed that was this period of finding my place in the world and committing myself to healing growth purpose and fulfillment that space of wanting to become numb was really from this divine fulfillment and you know I look back on those times and I think there's some ego superiority there you know I really thought oh yeah I'm gonna reach enlightenment by I'm 30 I found the thing I found the thing I get to spend my whole life now with these badass nuns and they were so cool I cannot tell you these women and the men when I was also in different spaces but these spiritual teachers and really getting to the root of the teachings and our mistakes and our purposes and the deeper layers and the different facets of what it means to be a human being on this earth that I just thought this was it. And it was only until I had a breakthrough when I was at a silent retreat, when I was with someone that I was attracted to, that I realized, wow, I have been shutting down all of my desire for intimacy. And I've been shutting down all my desire for love and connection. And I think that this is fulfillment for me. And I don't know if it fully is because I'm noticing that this man on this retreat is actually making me more anxious than meditating on death. So what is there for me in this? And that's where I took some steps then to follow that piece around what was that next step for me. And that's really kind of shows the journey. I think people think that things are just all set out, that we find our purpose one day and that's it, we just follow it. And I can tell you here and now that that's not how it happened for me. It was literally just following one step at a time. And it was really following my own healing and following what makes me feel fulfilled. Where is my purpose? Do I feel like I'm sat in the seat of my soul? Is this why I'm here? And I've had many professions and many identities, law student, counseling student, coaching student, nutritional therapist, barista, carer, Pilates teacher, yoga teacher, all of these things, you know, attachment therapist, sexologist, all of these different identities. And really it's sat in, am I doing what I feel like I'm born to do here? And that's where I feel totally fulfilled and grateful for finding this work now, because I can truly say that while the niche and the shape of it may shift, I feel like I found what I was born to do. And I just feel in total devotion to this path. So I feel like in short, rewinding to this question an hour later, really the desire to become a nun was to find my purpose in this lifetime. And I thought it was through that and it gave me purpose and fulfillment. And it wasn't until I thought, is there something more for me that I realized my fears also 
interacting with that decision and it's like we don't know what we don't know and that's and our mechanisms serve us until they don't and that space in my life served us until I had enough safety and regulation in my system to think oh wow maybe I do want intimacy or maybe what is this person teaching me so that is why I wanted to become a nun and yeah I love that time and I'm so grateful for that time and I also feel grateful for the choice to try something different and this is where I see I supervise practitioners and I often see you know this also was in dating and intimacy as well but this decision paralysis of well is it this or is it that and I need to make the right decision and you know when I've thought about even leaving a career in law I thought well I can always come back I can always heal and I'm focusing on myself and I always come back you know leaving this path of wanting to come a nun okay I'm gonna just try this whole intimacy thing or try you know I tried a tantra massage or I, I went to a tantra teacher I'm gonna try that and if it doesn't feel right then I know and I can can really be in devotion to the path of becoming a nun so this trying and seeing life as a, as a playground and life as a buffet of things that just everything is teaching us I really believe it's a win-win in every situation because either we learn something's right for us or we learn something's not right for us and they have a clear idea of what is right for us yeah so there you go that is my long 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 explanation around wanting to come with none okay and then the next question mm, so beautiful someone said you shared about disordered eating I struggle with disordered eating as well and I find that my body image stops me wanting to have sex with my partner oh darling one I so feel you I so so resonate here and I didn't realize it at the time, but this was also a really big piece in me. I didn't realize that actually I didn't want to be intimate with with people because I was so scared that if they saw my body, they wouldn't be attracted to me anymore. And so I'm just so here with you in this. You know, even to put it in perspective, I had this full circle moment a while ago when I was teaching practitioners on a residential training in Europe and we did a practice where we have to teach sexologists how to map genitals. And I said, I'd be a model. And then my colleague would map my vulva in order to teach practitioners how to map anatomy of genitals. So I was there on this massage bed and I was with my vulva out and it being mapped live. And I've done many different situations like this now as a teacher, as a practitioner, of mapping or demonstrating different techniques and different methods, like a framework, and even teaching around orgasm and pleasure, just is real, teaching it from a place of how this is how it can look and feel for people. Because we often aren't taught that, you know, we're often taught around porn, which isn't real, or we just don't even know what healthy or how sexuality or pleasure can look like. So I was on this massage bed and someone said to me, oh gosh, that's one of the most vulnerable things I've ever seen someone do. Uh, thank you so much for this gift. And I thought, oh yeah, that is really vulnerable. And actually that is a full circle moment for me because I was oh, someone that couldn't actually, I wanted to have sex with the lights off. I was scared of what someone might think of my body. It wasn't good enough for them. Oh, just holding my hand on my heart right now as I even feel into these stories I used to hold. And I remember that when I, yeah, Ashtanga yoga and Vipassana meditation really helped me with my disordered eating. And I remember my yoga teacher said to me, your shoulders are a bit tight. I think you'd really benefit from a massage. And I couldn't actually bear the thought of a massage or someone touching my body. So I went to Shiatsu, which is like a 
a type of massage where you have your clothes on. And I remember so distinctively, and I was sat with this woman stretching my body. And the whole time I was thinking, does she think I'm fat? Does she think I'm fat? Does she think I'm fat? And I was thinking, oh my gosh, she must touch my arms. Oh my gosh, she must think my arms are so fat. She must think, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And I remember the anxiety that I had when someone was touching my body. And I was thinking, wow, like the years of just healing and unfurling that. And so I really wanted to provide this example to really validate and, and normalize this, that I've been here. I really resonate with your experience. It's really hard. It's really challenging. It takes up a lot of brain space. Often we can't even drop into pleasure or intimacy or connection with someone when we're so worried of what they may be thinking of our body. And I'm sharing this with you to hopefully provide some hope that just even understanding that this may be a block or a challenge for you is such a beautiful first step for you. Like, wow, can we be with the tenderness and the vulnerability of acknowledging those parts that feel like we need to be a certain way or look a certain way in order to receive love, connection or pleasure. And just being with the parts that feel like they need to be different and seeing them, acknowledging them and letting them know that we're not going anywhere. We see the fears and we're with you in this. So if it feels comfortable for you, some recommendations I may have is if it feels comfortable sharing these insecurities with your partner, it can be a beautiful step for you when we share what's coming up because it creates connection when there's disconnection. When we feel into intimacy there and we're in our heads because of what we think about our body, then we're disconnected. Whereas a beautiful way we can come back into connection is even naming hey, I'm in my head right now. I've got these fears, these insecurities coming up and then letting someone be with us in that experience. And then therefore that creates authentic connection. We're actually present with someone. And some of the most beautiful intimacy experiences I've ever had have literally just been, you know, I remember all the profound experiences I just had with this man and we were literally just breathing together with our hands on each other's hearts and it blew me open, fully clothed, breathing together, just deeply seeing and being with each other. And so I wonder if a reframe or a direction could be like how, what feels safe to be in connection or how can I feel safe to be in connection with my partner? If we take away the labels of what sex needs to look like, because really what even is that? What does sex mean? A question for another time. But, you know, like, what do I need to feel safe to be in connection with my partner? What do I feel I need to be safe to feel more pleasure? And then allowing this to be the baseline of intimacy with your partner. And therefore it actually lets our, it creates that intimacy in itself because it lets our partners in the experience and it lets our partners hold us and care for us. It love us through this. And it can kind of break that pattern of thinking we need to be something for someone else to be loved. And really that's the crux of these challenges and in intimacy, whatever shape or form it may take is I need to be X, Y, or Z to be loved right now. You know, I see it often in, with women, I need to be pretty in sex. I need to be pretty, I need to be hot. And, and these things, it's like, wow, I need to be this to be worthy of love and connection. Mm -mm -mm, no, honey, no, no, no. So just allowing these questions to sit with you of how you can create safety in yourself, safety with your partner, so that you can actually explore pleasure at a pace for you and inviting you to perhaps even inquire what pleasure may look or feel like.
is full penetrative sexually pleasurable for you with where you are on your disordered eating or something different feel pleasurable for you so even tuning into how do you want to create pleasure and intimacy with your partner if you're struggling with these pieces right now and I'm sending you so so much love and really feeling you in this place that you're in and so celebrating you in recognizing that this is a piece that that you want to be with and you want to transform and knowing that this is such a gorgeous first step in this process. Mm. Oh, just so touched by this journey. Ah, so the next question is, what do your family think about being a sexologist? I want to work in sexuality, but I am scared of what my family would think. Mm. Yeah, great question. I so hear you. So this is what we kind of talk about as practitioners of coming out as a sexuality practitioner, because there is nuance around being a sexuality practitioner. And I think I was in a lucky position in the sense that I, I was working in holistic health anyway, yoga teacher, and therefore in myself, in my life, I had less perhaps weight on that but I'm aware I've had colleagues that have worked in corporate and had very different types of lives and therefore being a sexologist was a huge shift and a huge identity shift and it may have not actually felt safe or doable to actually come out as a sexologist because of the different approaches that we have to our work and the taboo that sexuality holds in society and also the safety of the societies that we live in. You know, I'm really, really privileged that I grew up in the UK. Oh my gosh, wow, what privilege that I, that I was given. That, that leg up of, wow, it's actually safe and legal for me to be this. There are countries where it's not legal where I do, to do what I do. There are countries where I wouldn't be accepted to do this lived in a different country and I had this desire this would not be possible for me so I was very much had a privilege of the society that I was in and so yeah just acknowledging that that fear and that's so understandable and that's that's a process that I feel that practitioners go on of integrating perhaps a desire to work in maybe a more taboo or nuanced or tender topic within society that's not spoken about that's brushed to the sidelines that is deeply shrouded in shame guilt and repression because of political or religious teachings and a lack of sexual education so just hearing this spot that you're in right now and yeah what do my family think about it so my family consists of my mum, my brother and some extended family my dad passed away when I was 24 and that was actually when I was doing the work, but I hadn't fully come out. So I was doing trainings and experiences, but I actually hadn't told my family at that point that I wanted to take this professional shift. And actually, that was a process for me to tell them. Now I think about it more deeply. Yeah, it felt hugely vulnerable. And I think perhaps the vulnerable piece is that when we share something like this, it Often someone else's views on sexuality or career can impact the conversation. And even if we take a step back, you know, to be a sex therapist, a sexuality, work in sexuality, a sexologist, a sex coach, or however you frame it, 
sex is a topic that is not spoken about in public very often. And when it is, it is sexualized. So what I mean by it being sexualized is that it's seen through this lens of porn and it's reduced to the act of act of penetrative sex rather than a deep understanding of how human beings experience intimacy and connection with each other. And so that topic, you know, even when I'd name it to people that weren't my family, it's going to bring a topic into the conversation that might not have been there. You might meet someone new and how often would you talk about sex in the first few sentences? But then someone asks what you do and you're like, I'm a sexologist. Wow, I'm in the topic of sex right now with someone that I met five minutes ago. So just noticing the nuance and the tenderness of when you're working in a field such as sexuality and then that brings such a vulnerable topic of sexuality into conversations where it might not be there. And yeah, so that's where sometimes I'll tend to maybe, depending on the situation, perhaps say that, oh, I'm a therapist and maybe go into it on that lens, just depending on what it feels like the right thing to do. But I tend, people often, yeah, know that I work in sexuality now and and it's very much there, but just, just being with that step back of not personalizing something like not making about us, but making about the framework of how sexuality is framed in society. So, yeah, anyway, zooming back in to my family, so my brother and my mum, that was really who I was coming out to. Reminds of the first question around wanting to become a nun, because my mum or my family had very much seen a journey of me go through some really big rock bottoms and breakdowns and breakthroughs and see me in my lowest moments of, you know, deep mental health struggles, suicide ideation, that when my mum saw me feel so fulfilled and lit up and excited about her career, I think she was just really happy for me. And that's not to say there weren't challenges. You know, with my parents, this is step two. Step one was actually them seeing me leave behind a corporate career or a a different type of career, you know, wanting to be a lawyer. There was the grief for them. You know, my mom had said things to me like, oh, I think you're wasting your potential. My dad had said, it's like you're throwing your whole life away. You know, so there was the peace. And that was a very much a journey to go on of letting go the need for approval from my parents, which I think is the, one of the best things that we can ever do, because I think it governs a lot of our life choices and actually leads us to places where we may not really want to be. So I'd already had that step of, wow, I'm not who you want me to be. Wow, the daughter that you brought up and the daughter that you've shaped me into, I'm now taking a radical step in a different direction and I don't know where that's going to go. And so at that point, I was studying counselling, I was studying holistic health, and I didn't know where it would go. And so there were times of sitting in the unknown and my parents just having to trust that their daughter that was once president of Lords of That Borders, who's now working part-time job, earning £7.50 an hour and living at home and then going on these random trainings and telling her she's figuring her life out that she's going to do it. So there was already that detachment from what I want for my life from my parents or my family wanted for me. So I think that was a huge break and it reminds me of one of the best sentences that I've ever learned through therapy is around grieving who we need our parents to be or our family to be and letting them be who they are and the same goes for them and us so this maybe is an invitation around boundaries or just the question of 
how much of my worth, my life, my purpose, my fulfillment depends on my family's approval of me. And while that can be a challenging journey to let go of that approval, I think it's one that leads to ultimate freedom. And it's so interesting because then before my dad passed away, when I was working as a holistic health practitioner, I would give my dad treatments. And I remember him saying to me, gosh, it makes me emotional to think about now to this day. He said to me, you are so gifted at this and you have to share it with the world. It was just another full circle moment of, oh, wow, this is the man that told me I was throwing my life away. And now he can see me. He can see why I've made the choices, why I've gone to a heart-centered career, why it wouldn't have worked for me in a head-centered career. I think my work is actually head and heart-centered, and it takes a lot of head to do this, but in this heart devotion that I knew I had to follow. So there's that full circle. And then with my mum now, another similar full circle moment where, God bless her, she's the sweetest woman. And we've had our own journeys. I think our parents are our biggest spiritual teachers and it's not always been harmonious. We've definitely had our triggers with each other and our periods of of estrangement and processes and, and calling each other to our highest selves in our relationship. And now as a sexologist, she's my biggest fan probably. <laughs> she's just so sweet and that's healing in itself, but it wasn't always that way. Again, this is a woman that told me I was wasting my potential nearly a decade ago you know so it's allowing your relationship with your family to be its own so I don't when I'm talking about my relationship as a sexologist now with my family I wanted to give that background because there's been so much processing with us all to this point which is why now my mom as one of my biggest fans my biggest cheerleaders It can be like that because I think she's grieved who she wanted me to be and I've let go of needing her approval. So we're now two adults and she supports me in this and she trusts me in my career and my purpose and she can see how much it lights me up. And she is super sweet. You know, it's like to the point of I was in the UK over summer because I live in Bali and I was over there and it just happened that, you know, I have quite a few of my comments are published in articles, quite a lot. It happens and it's often online. Um, however, over summer, just serendipitously, when I was in the UK, loads of stuff was being published in the UK and on print. So I was so lucky to see all of these articles that I'd written for in print. And I remember buying them and, and getting the eye and getting women's health and, it was so sweet. I remember so distinctively, there was one in the eye around holiday sex tips. And my mom actually messaged me to show me that she'd seen it. And then she'd messaged me to say that she'd sent it to two of her friends. And I just thought that is the cutest fucking thing ever. That is so, so cute. And another situation happened where even one of her friends had seen me in a woman magazine or something and said, oh my gosh, your daughter's publishing around relationships sabotaging and sent it to my mom and it was just so cute it was just really cute and with that also comes boundaries as well you know this is another thing which perhaps I'll talk more about now I go into my relationship with my brother but it's just how much would we really talk about sexuality with our mom and our brother you know our sister or our dad or whoever so having those the boundaries that feel right for us and that's where I trust my mom's boundaries to be as interested in my work as she wants to be. And I share about my work and how much I want to share with my work with her. 
you know, how much does it feel right for me to share the depth of which my work goes and just have that as with any profession. And yeah, so with my brother, again, you know, a really nuanced dynamic because of the journey that I've been on in my own career. And then how much would I tell my brother about sexuality as my brother? You know, and how much is appropriate and what are our boundaries and that way. So that's why I really trust him to take care of himself. You know, sometimes he listens to podcasts, he reads stuff that I've shared or articles and stuff. And, and he really takes an interest and that's beautiful. And just recognizing that. And it's not always been easy, though. It's definitely not been easy. And it's navigating the shame or the stories that other people may carry around that around sexuality. You know, I've had people in my life that when I said to them, you know, I remember distinctively someone saying to me, like, I haven't told my family that you're a sexologist. So can you not mention it? Just say that you're a yoga teacher. And wow, that really hurt. And I respect those boundaries for them. And I respect their own boundaries and their relationships. And, and that felt painful. I didn't feel seen. I didn't feel accepted I didn't feel welcome so again when we're in any kind of work and especially something as as vulnerable as sexuality we're holding often the the stories charge the projections of someone else's experience with sexuality and that has nothing to do with about us and that's just part of being in service in this way yeah so I hope that answered your question and just gave some background into this and Again, if you're working and wanting to work in sexuality and you feel like what your family may think of it, again, just circling back to this question of where do you feel like your purpose, your happiness, your fulfillment depends on the approval of your family? And yeah, I think it's Elizabeth Gilbert that talks about having a business as a baby. And when we're newly practitioners, can we see our practice as a baby? So taking care of that. So if it feels safer to put in boundaries and not talk about it loads, because if we do... People can have all of their projections. You know, I remember once, oh gosh, yeah, when I was in the early days, the early years of my practice, and I remember someone saying to me, oh my gosh, they just held this really strong projection about my work, didn't why it wasn't a good thing. And and it's like, wow, that was deeply sad. I remember being really triggered and upset about it. And actually, boundaries can really help keep us safe and that if we've got a baby. We want to take care of it and let it learn how to walk and grow and boundaries can do that. So if it feels like your family or people close to you are actually going to impact your self-worth, your self-image or your fulfillment or your direction with your career, then inviting you to create that safe haven and perhaps around community. I really recommend having community that get you and get your career so that you can grow and evolve and be the highest version of yourself in your career. People can hold that vision for you, even if certain people in your life don't. Yeah. Oh, okay, beautiful. So the next question is, does working in sexuality make it harder to date? Beautiful question. But I would love to know more about this question and kind of, because I guess there's assumptions in this question or that it would make it harder to date. Yeah, a question around this is like, working sexuality impact dating. Working sexuality doesn't make it harder to date. Doing this work has been the best thing I've ever done, ever. I can't even fathom the relationships that I used to have and the intimacy that I used to have before I got into this work. It's just another lifetime. I feel for that young woman that 
did not know what real connection felt like or real pleasure or knew what was possible to experience in relationships. So it's the best thing that I've ever done. And it does impact how I date. I guess in a beautiful way, it's like it increases my standards. You know, I'm so discerning now around who I have intimacy or date or a relationship with because I know myself much better. I know the depth and the fulfillment that's possible in relationships and the standards that relationships are possible. So therefore, I find that I, yeah, I'm just a lot more discerning. And I think my relationship with sexuality or these spaces has actually changed and evolved as well. You know, when I first was in, I was healing in sexuality and I used to go to more events, retreats and, you know, play parties and held spaces around sexuality I just loved it and it was so liberating and it was so freeing and so exciting and and gorgeous and held and now years down the line and I have a lot more breadth of experience under my belt I don't actually tend to go to many other people's sexuality events because I feel like I'm I'm unsatisfied with how the space is held how the boundaries of the consent is held and therefore I just don't feel held in myself to go to the levels of intimacy that I want so I'd say that it's changed the way that I date because perhaps I would meet people in these kinds of settings and and now I don't tend to go to those settings as much because I tend to hold those settings and I tend to want higher standards for intimacy events and sexuality events so I say that's changed, but it's also been beautiful. And it's like just up-leveled my, my sexuality, my intimacy experiences, to be honest, because I've just gone for even better teachers and, and better experiences and creating those experiences for myself, really. And I guess one thing I did experience was I was in the UK over summer. I think everyone in my life tends to work in personal development. Well, not everyone, but the majority of people in my life tend to be in the personal development space. So what I do is just really normal. It's just like not really a thing. It's just like everyone has such incredible careers and and their own niches and their own teaching expertise that actually it's never really thought about. I don't think about what I do differently. And then I remember being on a dating app when I was in the UK and I suddenly realized oh, wow, a sexologist is actually really unusual in perhaps mainstream culture. It's actually quite unusual. And then navigating that. So I I tend to not date on apps so much or something like that. Or when I do, how I frame a sexologist or sex therapist, because again, like the previous question, just other people's connotations with sexuality. And on the flip side of this, it's like the most beautiful catalyst for weeding out people that aren't right because through this it means dating people that are really secure in themselves and are also on their personal development career and also really passionate about their careers so it just means that I just tend to date different people and they tend to be people that are much more centered and grounded and and really excited about their own careers and know about my work and appreciate my work and I guess perhaps but I think that would happen whether I worked in sexuality or not because I just feel that I'm most turned on by people that are working on themselves and want to have the best life that they can have and have self-awareness around their projections and their stories about different topics. So when when working in such a vulnerable topic, it's just a great catalyst to see if people have done the work around holding such a topic. 
yeah so I guess those are the main ways just just it's really up leveled my dating life I have firmer boundaries I'm much more discerning around who I let in my life I tend to go to different spaces to create intimacy yeah so I hope that answered that question someone has shared I heard you talk about having the best (laughs) some of the best sex ever what is the best experience in sexuality that you've actually had um so so I guess actually what perhaps mean the main thing undercutting this is actually that the reason why I shared around having some of the best sexuality or best sex I'd ever had was because as a practitioner and someone that, that's kind of trained in this area the reason why it surprised me and continually blows me open is that it just keeps getting better this is where I just hope for inspiration for people that it's like it just keeps getting better and better in our lives. And I fully believe that. Where I share that place from where I just thought, oh, I've already had such incredible experiences that have been life-changing, literally sexual experiences that have like changed my life. And we just get to have more of that. And the more work that we do and the more healing that we do, we just have more and more of those experiences. So in terms of the best experience, I wouldn't say that I could pin it down. What I will say is like there's an emerging theme in what makes something good for me. And I really recommend for anyone looking to improve their sexuality or experiences in sex is reading Jack Moran's book, The Erotic Mind, it is. And it's the idea of that we have an erotic theme. So this, you know, in a succinct way is that we we have a theme of what makes sexuality experiences good for us. So it's the idea of perhaps picking our top five experiences that we've had. Why were they so great? What made them so great? What's the theme between them and joining the dots between them? And that tends to be our core erotic theme. And that helps teach us, it's like a map of what's going to help to create even more and create better sexuality experiences for us. And so for me, my theme tends to be transcendence. So I find, yeah, just a very transcendent experience for me, sexuality and intimacy. So therefore, what makes the best experience is like connection, present joint co-creation of sexuality co-creation of sex yeah so I wouldn't say there's the best experience that I've had personally what I will say is that the best types of experience have been a co-creation where I've really heard someone else's needs desires and wants and boundaries they've really heard mine and we've really co-created something together my core right theme is, is transcendence at the moment and this I say at the moment because it can change over our lifetime and for me that means altered brain states you know I fully believe and we know this through science anyway that arousal chemicals are released and our brain structures change as if we're on drugs but for me transcendence means it's literally as if I've taken plant medicine or something it's a very shamanic deep connected experience where I find myself I find God (laughs) and yeah, it's literally life-changing. And, and it's interesting, I wrote an article on this for Women and Home recently around transcendental sex. And I think it's possible for us all. And the first steps are, I would say, presence, communication, and then, yeah, co-creation. And a transcendence can be, like I shared earlier, literally, you know, hands on someone else's body and breathing. That was such a transcendental experience for me literally finding God through someone else's heart and through the connection with them and transcending our bodies together while just breathing together. So it can look and take many, many shapes and forms. 
<sighs> okay, wow. So the next question is, how do I find someone to work with and where do I start? Mm-mm-mm. Great question. So my where there's different practitioners' websites, such as NACSB, which I'll put in the show notes. Yeah, ACSBA, I recommend. I used to be vice president of the ACSB, the Association of Certified Sexological Body Workers. And that's great to see people that have certifications and are trained in sexological body work. That's a really important piece. And however, I would really go for someone that you feel resonant with, that you feel that understands your experience or can hold your experience. Because really, someone can have all the tools and the instructions and the training but if there isn't that attunement to you or that empathy or that care then it's going to feel difficult and it may feel unfulfilling or challenging because we may not feel fully held in the transformation of this and the transformation takes place in and outside of of the sessions and our relationship with practitioners so noticing who you feel resonant with and I would then check their qualifications And I would check here what trainings they have. I would check whether they're insured. These are really key pieces. You know, I see many tantra teachers that aren't actually fully trained. They've done like one week tantra retreat and then they're teaching tantra and it's just, it's a gray field. So I'd really recommend checking your practitioner and have the certifications and then you feel the resonance with them. And And this is where, you know, I'm aware the certifications aren't the be all and end all. And I want to really honor this and that we can be teachers without lots of certifications. And sexuality is a very specialized subject. And trauma is a race. And working with relationships and intimacy is working inherently with trauma because trauma is relational. So therefore, even when we're working with pleasure, even working with the juicy stuff, the exciting stuff, there's trauma is innate to our beings. So therefore working with someone that can actually hold the depth of your experience and has the training to do that because actually it can feel more damaging I've worked with people that wanted to force me through something or tried to push me to the next level and I've felt re-traumatized so yeah just going through these pieces with them and and booking a call having a chat can this person meet me where I'm at and I really feel like the right people you'll know and if they're not the right people, then it's a sign of a great practitioner if they'll signpost you to someone that is right and how important that is. So, yeah, checking out these practitioner listing websites and if they're part of a organization, if they're insured, and then if you resonate with them through their teaching, through their work and on a call. Yeah, I hope that helps. <sighs> okay, what a journey we've been on today. And we have the final question. I struggle to have confidence in sex. I don't think I'm good enough or I know enough about sex. Oh, darling one, so feeling you, so feeling you. And yeah, this was something that I also really struggled with. Where I thought, you know, I had to learn the five-step technique to for a good blowjob. Oh, I had to, you know, these sudden techniques that, that will make us good at sex or, you know, how, what makes us good at something and we need to know enough and, and this is where, you know, firstly, in the, just the phrasing of this question, it sounds like you feel like you need to be something for someone else. You need to be good enough for someone else for sex. So is it possible to know that you get to receive in sex as well and that you are inherently enough and it gets to be a process where you get to experience pleasure rather than thinking you need to be enough for someone else? 
And this comes down to this idea of the co-creation. I think the best sex is a co-creation. It's not one person or the other. It's literally, let's come together. Let's share what we want. Let's share what we need and desire and our visioning. You know, the, like I said earlier, the, the best experiences that I've had have been where, you know, I've shared with someone what I really want and they've shared what they want. I'm like, okay, how can we kind of co-create this together and how amazing that is? And so really taking the pressure of you to think that you need to be anything in sex. And actually it is this joint team effort. And it reminds me of this thing that I, this, this analogy that I learned in one of my trainings of like, can sex be like a jam, like an improvisation? It's literally an improvisation and it's going to feel clunky and things are going to go right, things are going to go wrong. And it's literally improvising as you go along and letting it this beautiful unfolding. And this is why I think it's so gorgeous when it's like we're not, we set our intentions for what we want, but it's not so much like goal orientated. It's, you know, that's where penetrative sex, you can feel like it's goal orientated. I've got to make someone calm or orgasm. And actually, when can you let go of that and share your desires and then be in this place of let's see what happens and let's have fun and let's relax. And this is reminds me of a really beautiful thing that I think is not spoken about enough is that I think a really great gift of good sex is also not taking it so seriously and not taking yourself so seriously because there's going to be things that work and that don't work or things that we don't like and and just letting it be this play space for exploration can sex be an exploration and a co-creation and then it's just a win-win we learn we learn what we like we learn what we don't like and letting ourselves be more present and in intimacy and and a relationship with someone and getting to know them so perhaps I would tune into what do you want to experience in sex what are your desires what would you really like to have and then sharing that with someone and checking in whether that is possible and just really having this idea that, that sex is a team effort and your pleasure is your responsibility. And so communicating what you like, what you don't like. And actually, you can never be good enough in sex if someone else isn't communicating with you what they like and don't like. So really bringing it back to this, this co-creation essence. Yeah. Oh, okay, darling ones. Let me know how this all lands. Let me know how you have follow-up questions. Yeah, let me know what comes up. And if you have enjoyed this episode or any of my episodes, I really ask and invite you if you can leave a review on iTunes or Spotify. It means so much because it's so gorgeous to hear how this podcast is reaching more people. And in order to do this, reviewing it can really help us to do this so it can reach the people that really need it. So I'm so, so grateful. I appreciate you all. And we're all on this journey Thank together. And I'll speak to you in this community together. I am so grateful you are here.